Hi guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and you're listening to Specify, the Building Materials Innovation Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help the entrepreneurs and the innovators who are making a positive difference in the building materials, coatings, and construction industry. Each episode, we'll tap leaders and experts from inside and outside the industry to provide the mental tools, skills, and insights to make an impact. Today's guest is Terry May, president of Mesa. Mesa designs, creates, installs, and maintains cathodic protection systems and pipeline integrity solutions. Mesa is a two-time Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award winner. The Baldridge program oversees the nation's only presidential award for performance excellence. Terry, thanks for coming on the show. You bet, Tats. I'm, uh, I'm excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. You're very highly recommended from Bob uh, Chalker from uh, NASA. He referred to you as his uh, mentor. Well, that's very nice of Bob. I'm not sure I meet that standard, but, uh, but it's nice for him to say that. Perfect. Tell me more about your background. Now, when did you get going? I've been in business 40 years. I, I got out of college with a mechanical engineering degree and went to work for, uh, well, my first job was actually with DuPont. And then I moved to a pipeline company in West Texas, El Paso. Worked there for several years, which is where I got into the, at that time, the corrosion control business for the pipeline operator. And um, got involved in a project with an engineering company in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, at the end of that project, I wound up moving to Tulsa and going to work in corrosion control for the engineering company in Tulsa. And I worked there for two years and and then I started Mesa. Mm. It was nineteen seventy nine. I was a I was a pretty young kid, really didn't understand what I was getting myself into, but <laughs> it sounded good, so gave it a shot. Things have things have worked out. Perfect. What sort of was there one thing that prompted you to to make that leap or how did that all happen? I was working on a pipeline project in the upper Midwest and engineering company. They do design work, they do project management. And uh, we were building a 1200 mile pipeline for a client. At the, at the end of that project, the contract was finished. They were moving into an operational Stage. The client needed some ongoing service work associated with, with uh, the work that I'd been work doing for them, but they were not going to contract the, the ing- my employer to do that work. And so they offered me an opportunity to essentially go in business and contract that work. And it's one of those, I didn't really understand what that meant other than <laughs> that I was I had a, at least a year, maybe two years of work. I guess my approach to it was, well, I'll go do this. If it doesn't work out, I'll go get another job. But, yeah. but things kind of worked out. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Not, not in, in, and not in the way that I'd ever thought they would have wound up, wound up, but kind of interesting the way life has these doors that open and close and some you go through and some you don't. 
describe what you mean by uh, in in a way that you didn't sort of imagine. What what was your initial vision, and and where did you end up? My vision, as I recall, there was a company in the industry, a small business that I kind of looked at as a model for what I would like Mesa to become, and I knew the owner and. I actually kind of looked at him as a mentor and I thought if I could, if I could build a company like that, that would be, I would define that as success. As it turns out, we built a business that's much larger than what I had originally kind of envisioned. So, and, 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 and built that business over a 40 year time frame. So it's just gone in, in so many different directions than what I how I had defined success and not necessarily through any intentional target. Again, we took opportunities as they, as, as they arose and had been very blessed yeah. to, to wind up where we were. If, if I originally thought a $2 million company was success, yep. we're, we're going to do close to a hundred million this year. Wow. So again, it, it doesn't look anything like I, I had originally thought. And did that success kind of come quickly or were there some sort of hard lessons along the way? Yeah, I've always been jealous of the companies that it goes real quickly for. <laughs> so it's been 40 years for us. And uh, the first 10 years was scratching and clawing. And, uh, you know, and I, I think that's pretty typical of a small business starting up. You don't really have any focus. You're pretty much willing to to do anything for any customer at pretty much any price just to survive. Mm-hmm. And the first 10 years of our existence were, I would call, survival. Mm-hmm. After 10 years, I, was, I, I started becoming less worried about surviving and a little bit more concerned about, okay, what direction do we go with this and, and how do we grow this? And, but but yeah, there's 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 lots of lessons you learn along the way, mm-hmm. and uh, some of them don't feel that great, but, uh, <laughs> but you do learn from them. Yeah. So what what sort of learning got you from that sort of the first ten years of survival to now sort of plotting a, a path forward? What what were some of the key lessons that sort of help you get out of that survival mode? Well, my background is engineering, mm-hmm. and I. I was late in my education when I, I think I came to the realization I really didn't want to be an engineer. That wasn't a passion for me. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, it was too far along to, to not go ahead and finish. Mm-hmm. And I went into an engineering job and, and got some technical skills and experience and expertise, but I always kind of wanted to run a business. Maybe there's a little bit of an entrepreneur in me. When I got this opportunity to start Mesa, one of the hard lessons I learned was I had no idea how to run a business. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the skills, the experience, the education. And so a lot of hard lessons on learning the financial aspects of it, particularly if you want to grow the business. Mm -hmm. If you just, if you're content with a, with a small operation, maybe it's not so critical, but I found out that if you don't have cash, it's really hard to do anything. 
Yeah. And, and no sane lending institution is going to lend money to a startup mm-hmm. that doesn't have either a wonderful idea, which mm-hmm. we didn't have. My idea was to go into business and do this, but that's not what, that's really not appealing to somebody else that's, that's got the <laughs> money. And so learning how to grow with no money, no capital, mm. was, was a hard initial lesson for me. By the end of 10 years, we had built up enough capital to be able to do some things and to get a lending institution to, to lend us money. Mm-hmm. But, but it took a hard 10 years and, and a lot of work to get to that point. At that point, maybe you've learned the basic lessons of, of operating a business. Mm-hmm. Then you have to learn to how to grow a business. Mm-hmm. And so each stage for, for us and for me personally has all been about education, mm-hmm. learning the skills necessary to be able to go to the next step. Okay. Well, so you, you mentioned financial is an important thing. How did you learn that? I mean, did you bring people in? Did you read books? Did you have mentors? How did you learn those critical skills to get to that growth phase? And I, I think you just, you just said the list, all of those. You've got a, you, there is a, a skill set of, and, and educational resources. I, I get a lot of my, or got a lot of my education from, from reading books. I'm, a, I'm an avid reader. So I guess you would call that a passion. And, and I'll read just about anything. It became somewhat of a of a of a discipline thing for me to make sure that I was reading stuff that would actually help me. And so, as a need came up, you find a resource, find mentors. Uh, so outside accountants, you rely heavily on them. Once you find a banker that that's willing to invest in you, they become a a wonderful resource. They I learned some pretty tough lessons through my banking relationships. Mm. What, not, what not to do, how important it is to communicate transparently. And then, you know, as you grow, you can start bringing in some other skill sets within your, or, within your own organization. So financially, it became, okay, well, I need somebody with some bookkeeping experience. And then mm-hmm. working with the outside accountant, well, Maybe we need some technology assistance here mm-hmm. with a software package. And mm-hmm. So all of that stuff to me is, is a learning process. And sometimes we learn faster than, than other times. Yeah. But, but as long as you're learning and, and retaining that learning, then you, you can move forward. Yeah. I tell people that I've made, Every mistake in the book in the course of my business, except a fatal mistake. Mm. And the fatal mistakes are pretty common. I mean, there's lots of opportunities to make one wrong decision that will take an organization down. Mm. So you mentioned earlier about growth. So you you, you got to the growth phase. What's involved in growing a company? You know, you started out one person to a now a hundred million dollar company. What, what's the, the initial steps that you need to take to take that leap? Well, I don't know what it's like for everybody else, but I know mm-hmm. for us, our growth has been kind of in stages. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a fairly steady growth 
for the entire 40 years, there have been three or four times where we've seen a period of time of, of no growth or maybe even a slight contraction. Mm-hmm. But, but it's like a, if you look at a, a growth curve for us, it's like a stair step. Mm-hmm. And the steps to get there for us, we're always on the, on the revenue side. It's like an opportunity, a market opportunity comes up. Mm-hmm. Do you tackle that opportunity or not? And you get, go through the risk assessment, the, the resource requirements. We're a lot more methodical and disciplined about that now than we were originally. Because originally that, that whole assessment process kind of happened in my head on the fly. <laughs> and, and I think that's pretty typical. Yeah. I didn't, if there was an opportunity, I looked at it and I'm an analytical person and I would, but I don't know that I, I was very disciplined about how I did it. Mm-hmm. That actually was pretty natural. That came pretty natural to me. Mm-hmm. Today, we're much more disciplined. We, we will look at an opportunity, we will assess it, we will see what kind of resources it's going to take, mm-hmm. what the impact is going to be, the profit. And, and so we'll, we've got a process for that now. And, and that process evolved over the years. But for us, the, the opportunity was always seemed to be on the revenue side. And so our culture is about growth. Mm-hmm. As, as, as a competitor, a competitor got in trouble somewhere and and it seemed like there was an opportunity, we'd go in pretty quick and, and try to take advantage of it. And in fact, opportunistic growth is is one of our catchphrases. Mm. We don't want to grow for the sake of growing, but when there's an opportunity, we want to move quickly. And I think that that's a pretty good description of of the culture that we've we've created here. We're, we operate in a small industry. Mm-hmm. There were several large players when we started, but but the reason we think we were able to grow in, in the market and displace other competitors is for two things. We, from day one, we were always focused on customer service and in satisfying a customer. And mm-hmm. we were just, as it, notwithstanding that we made a lot of mistakes by relative terms, we were better than the other guys. Oh, yeah. The second thing was we looked for opportunities and those two things combined have allowed us, I think, to be successful in, in growing our business to where we're at. It's harder now. It requires more sophistication. And that is one thing as you grow, your processes have to grow. Your, your approach has to develop. And we're, we're a lot more sophisticated than we were originally. But, but I think that's just kind of all relative to, to where we're at. Yeah. So, so to manage the group growth, do you have like sort of a team of people that are sort of outside the day-to-day that sort of runs that? Or does everyone sort of contribute to that sort of plan or execution? Well, we've created a, a management structure, leadership structure mm-hmm. that is, is a pretty tight, cohesive group. We've got 10 people in our senior leadership team. I'm actually kind of outside the operations at this point. I'm in the end of my career. So I'm in a transition period from functional operation to 
moving toward being the old guy that comes in the office, gets a cup of coffee, walks around and says hello, and then goes and plays golf. <laughs> so that, that's where I'm at personally. I'm sure you're more than that. <laughs> I don't know. Depends on who you talk to around here. <laughs> but I, I've got a, a CEO who is currently running the operation. Mm-hmm. I participate on the senior leadership team, as does eight other people. Mm-hmm. And we meet weekly for 30 to minutes to an hour. We have quarterly meetings. We have an annual strategic planning session. So we've got a scheduled leadership process. Each of those people on the senior leadership team have their own responsibility, whether it's operations, people, sales, that type of thing. And they're all very experienced and qualified. Again, I think that's part of of growing a business. In order to do that, you've got to have a a pretty tight team, Mm -hmm. all focused on the same thing, supporting each other. And I think that's, that's the key to successful growth, at least in an, an environment where we really don't offer anything unique to the industry. Mm. What we sell is the same stuff that our competitors sell. Mm. We don't have a product. We don't have a service, nothing. We, it's, it's a commodity business. And if you're going to compete in a commodity business, the only way to be successful, I think, is just be better than your competitors, mm-hmm. which is pretty tenuous. Yeah. So you got to stay on your game. Yeah, for sure. Now, you mentioned your two focus areas, one being customer service. Can you give me some examples of some of your, your processes that you think that you're sort of, you have in place that are really helping you there? So there's a number of things from a, from a customer standpoint. So again, describing the, the environment we're in, we're in a, a relatively small industry. We work for large pipeline operating companies, Conoco's and TransCanada's and Enbridge's and those kind of customers. And they're spread out all over the United States. We've got a number of service lines that we sell, but our customers are, for the most part, spread out. And so we've got a contact at the, we got to maintain contact at the boots on the ground level, but we also have to interface with procurement, main office procurement groups, and even senior leadership team in some of our customers. So it's a kind of a broad range to to maintain that customer contact. And the thing about being in a small industry is we don't have the luxury of making a sale, screwing up the order, Mm -hmm. and expecting to get another sale from a different customer because we have a finite list of customers. There's just not that many of them. Mm -hmm. And customer satisfaction in terms of continued business is critical. I'm going to give you a a statistic that's kind of interesting. So Mm -hmm. I I described what our growth has been over the the 40 years. I'll I'll also tell you that our our customer retention rate is around 98%. Wow. And when when you think about growing your business that much, we depend on our existing customers to maintain that volume. We don't need to add very many customers 
we need to add business with those customers, but we can't afford to lose any customers because losing a customer to us potentially is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so maintaining existing customer relationships is actually more important than finding new customers. Mm -hmm. So what do we do to create a retention rate like that? Yeah. It's communication. It's satisfying customers at, at multiple levels through these, through these organizations. Yeah. Creating new service lines to be able to sell to a, to the same customer. It's just a kind of a mix of execution opportunity management, relationship management, kind of all blended together. Wow. So with, with communication, I mean, that's, that's probably one of the, you said, one of the keys is you have one point person dealing with the client or how do you, because obviously these are sort of installs are very sophisticated. How do you sort of manage the flow so that one person is not saying something else to the other person when it comes to the client? That's always a challenge for us, and, um, and, and we've made lots of mistakes in that area because we've got multiple offices with multiple sales folks yeah. communicating with a customer that's got multiple office and multiple operations folks. Yeah. And so maintaining consistency in what we do and what we offer is a challenge. Making sure that we are saying the same thing, and we've stepped on our foot lots of times. Over, over the years. How we've dealt with that is kind of a, a learning process for us. So it kind of starts with identifying your key customers, mm-hmm. defining and, and identifying your key customers. So if I have a customer base of a thousand customers, mm-hmm. which one of those are key to us? Which one of those do we focus our efforts on? The, the first step is ranking them. And we did that 25 years ago, created a ranking process, and it probably comes close to following the 80-20 rule. Mm -hmm. But first of all, ranking them in an A, B, C, D type of category with A being, okay, those are the key customers. The Bs are important, but the As are really important. And we'll, we'll focus most of our effort from a relationship standpoint in that A group. We've gone Taking that a step further, we have three operations group, and each of those operations group has their list of key customers. These oper- three operations groups kind of interesting because we're organized on service by service line. So mm-hmm. one of one group is our materials group, one group is our large project group, and one the other group is our small project group. Mm. They're all serving the exact same customer, and in many cases the same individual within that customer. So as we've evolved our, our key, cu- we call it our key customer process. Mm-hmm. Several years ago, we, we developed a super customer process. Mm. And, and the super customer was defined as a customer that touched all three of our operations group and was a significant part of our revenue. And we, there's only six of those. So we set up, super customer teams to relate to, to those customers. So out of the six, there's a super customer team with probably five to six individuals on it. Mm -hmm. There's cross representation from our three operational groups. And then we've got a customer leader, super customer team leader. And then on top of that, we've got a senior leadership team sponsor. So we, we set up a formal structure for our super customers to help us 
make sure we're not stepping on each other's foot. Mm. You can't do that for everybody, mm-hmm. but you, you define which of those customers have the most important. Of these super customers, they, they comprise more than 50% of our revenue. Mm. Yeah. It's a lessons learned type thing. Yeah. You, you review your mistakes and then if they're big enough, maybe you need to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that makes sense because obviously you've grouped the, the overlap in the areas and definitely dealt with it and ranking it uh, makes a lot of sense because obviously you can't focus the same amount of resources on everyone. Uh, you like to, to make sure everyone's happy, but you, you absolutely have to sort of prioritize uh, your, your efforts and where you're going to improve. So that makes a lot of sense. Now, where does leadership fit into all this? You're big on that. Yeah, I am. <laughs> so we were rocking along and growing our business over the first 10 years. Mm-hmm. And we reached a kind of a flat spot. And uh, I really didn't understand what our, our problem was. But about 10 years in, we, we just reached this point where we had project teams. We had crews out. And in my head, I kind of expected everybody knew what was going on. Everybody knew what to do. But for whatever reason, we just screwed up continually. Mm. And we would make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And it just, I was really struggling with it personally. And trying to define what the cause of that was, I was willing to point fingers at lots of different things. Mm. I finally came out to a, a point where I'd say, okay, well, it's a quality thing. And, and actually, I'd call that kind of a turning point for me in, in our growth, me personally, and in, in our company growth is mm-hmm. I, I read, I went on vacation and I, I took uh, about four books that I found in a, in a bookstore about quality, quality management, total quality management, and, and some of the, the classic books. In, and uh, on vacation, I, I read those books and I is like, Light bulb goes, switch goes on, lights on. This is the magic bullet. This is the answer to our problems. And I came back and I mean, I made so many people unhappy because I, we did quality training. We, I just became obsessed. <laughs> In retrospect, that was a turning point for us. Yeah. I don't really understand what the, what leadership meant though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had the idea. I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to turn this company around. And we were not in a crisis situation. It was, it was more of a frustration for me. But so it wasn't really a turnaround. It was more, this is what we got to do if we're going to grow. Mm-hmm. And I just put it out there and said, okay, you guys comprehend this. We're going to put in some processes. I installed a complete total quality management program with education, with quality teams. I mean, we did the whole deal. And there was only about 30 of us. And it's like, okay, six months later, that's just total failure. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody had forgotten about it. You know, they, that was nice, Terry, but we got our work to do, so we go back. And so six months later, it's dead. I was wrapped up on some other stuff. It took me about two years, but I came back to that. And I said, we're going to do this again. We're going to do it better. And I designed a complete new program, put teams out there. We had a big celebration in the, in the plant. About six months later, 
I checked in and found out same exact scenario. Hmm. Teams hadn't met, no projects completed. That was the point at which I understood, started understanding what leadership actually meant. And so, or maybe for us, lack of leadership. Mm -hmm. I was, I was great at ideas, but following through and executing, terrible. That, that wasn't something I was good at. That actually, that was mid-90s at that point. That actually became the start of what I call our quality journey. Mm-hmm. And we started it off with, with a formal strate- strategic planning session. I had an outside facilitator come in and help us. We leveraged that and became ISO certified and that was kind of our first understanding of what quality uh, looked like. So we had all kinds of great intentions, but we, we just didn't execute. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what leadership is about. If, if I'm standing over five people and I can communicate, this is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And let's get everybody working on it. Well, I can manage that because I got five people you know, that I'm looking at that can see me. But if I've got 20 people and we've got multiple projects to do, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to manage that by myself. Yeah, I really struggled with that because, and I think every entrepreneur probably struggles with that to some extent. You've got to have leaders that buy into to your vision or maybe even better, our vision, because they're the ones that are going to go out and manage the work that needs to get done. So that kind of coinciding with that quality journey was also, okay, the understanding of, okay, leadership and what it actually looks like. And then that entailed a whole bunch more personal research for me. I, Tats, I've got a, a, a bookcase that I'm looking at right now in my office. It's it's got five shelves of quality books, leadership books, management books, sales books, you name it. Mm. And I've read every single one of them. And a lot of them say exactly the same thing. So sometimes it takes a while to, for a message to sink in. But, but that's a, you know, for me, that was a wonderful resource. There are lots of other resources out there to learn these types of skills, lessons, because somebody's done it before. Again, we've made every mistake except the fatal mistake. Mm, yeah. Well, you just mentioned uh, you have great ideas, but bad at follow through. Like, how did you resolve that? Like, specifically, did you, did you just flip in your head or did you have to train yourself or is this certain understanding that helped you with the follow through? Like, I know a lot of people that have great ideas too, and they're weak on the follow through. Like, how do you, how do you change that? When we got into our, our quality journey, which is, an ongoing thing. I understood what processes were, but defined repeatable processes, that's a totally different thing. So for me, the execution piece, I needed a defined process. So part of how we became more accountable as a company is from a strategic planning standpoint, we would identify our goals, go through and identify our measures, and then we started scheduling regular meetings. So in 1997, that was our first formal strategic planning process. Mm -hmm. 
done lots of meetings before that and lots of processes, but this was our first formal strategic planning. And that has led to everything else that we've done since then. And from a leadership standpoint, that strategic planning that leads into, okay, every quarter, well, how are we doing on this project? The accountability piece kind of came in with that regular routine. We do strategic planning, annual strategic planning every December. Mm-hmm for the upcoming year. And we've done it that way since 1998. Every quarter, we review our, our initiatives that we all agreed on in strategic planning. We, we say, yeah, how's that going? Because it's assigned to somebody to execute. And there's, there's an accountability piece that comes into that process. So I, I would say that our strategic planning process that, that melds into our leadership process is the way that I personally have become more disciplined in achieving what what we set out to achieve. We're much more sophisticated than we were in 1997 and 1998. We have software tools available to us now that we didn't have available to us then, but the result coming out of that looks much the same now as it did then. And so that to me is part of that evolution of growth in order to to grow any organization or business, your processes have to evolve along with it. And try to strike a balance. You don't want to go too far and make it too bureaucratic or process bound. But on the other hand, you, unless you, well, to have any kind of consistency at all, you got to put processes in place. Hmm. Very cool. Were these all sort of uh, face-to-face meetings or were these, some of these sort of uh, done remotely? They start off as all face-to-face, yep. which is easy when you're all in one physical location, the same physical location. As we've grown, that's become more challenging. And today, it's a combination of face-to-face and, and teleconference. And so annually, we're going to do a face-to-face with our senior leadership team twice a year. But the other meetings are and the weekly, quarterly meetings are going to be done by by teleconference. And each of those meetings, those quarterly meetings have a purpose. So early on it's okay, how do we get started on our on our year with in our projects and do we need to make adjustments in our plan? At mid-year it's check on our our current status, what do we see out there in the future and third quarter it's more focused on the planning and then the final one at the year end is closing out the year and starting the next year. So again, we're, we've become pretty disciplined about that. Still very entrepreneurial, but you got to have something along those lines, I think, to operate and manage. Yeah. Well, if, if, you, if you were to go back and uh, start a company from scratch now, what would you do differently? Would this sort of planning process be part of that sort of day one sort of thing? Or would you sort of focus on other other things or wouldn't change a thing? What, what would you think? I, I think it would just depend on if I went back in time, yeah. I don't know that I could have done it any other way. Mm-hmm. If, if, if tomorrow I was going to start a new business, yeah. having had the experience that I've had, yes. I would do it entirely differently. Yes. First of all, I wouldn't start a business off with no capital. 
<laughs> because that's that that is creating a very long hard road. Yep. And I would be much more disciplined and I think probably could achieve some success a lot faster. Mm-hmm. So hopefully would have learned a lot of the lessons. But but if I go back in time, I'm not sure that I could have done it any other way. Mm-hmm. I do know if I'd started a business in 1979 with the knowledge that I had yep. and I had had capital, yep. I would have gone under because I would have made some business decisions because I had the capital to do it that would have been fatal. Mm. I personally needed that education time frame with no money mm-hmm. because I, I would have bought a company. I would have gone and there's a number of things I would have done that would have been bad mistakes. So, so not having the money was, was actually good for me. Yeah. I'm sure it's, it's been good for other people as well. Sometimes you just have to let those lessons sink in. Now you're retiring or you're mo- moving on now. While you were sort of in the thick of it, what sort of like top routines or, or habits sort of kept you sort of in check in line? I, I'm sure you mentioned some of these now, but what other things come to mind that sort of really kept you on the right track? Yeah, a couple of things come to mind. First of all, I think you got to learn. I think you got to be a, a continual learner. There's lots of ways to do that. I've, I've kind of described how I learned, but if you're not learning, you're probably not growing. If you're not growing, you're dying. And if you're not learning, you're not going to grow. So, so there's, I mean, our world is changing all the time. Mm-hmm. I think about social media. So this is a podcast interview. Yeah. I'm not sure I've ever listened to a podcast. <laughs> and personally, I'm not active on social media. I have no interest in social media because essentially I'm a dinosaur. And, and I, I recognize that. But I'll tell you that if we as an organization didn't have somebody focused on social media yeah. and the opportunities and risks that come along with that, well, that'd be a problem for us. Yeah. So, so you, you got to learn and, and you got to be willing to, to make adjustments and changes. I, I do know that I, my passion, I guess, if you will, is continuous improvement. And mm-hmm. whether you call it total quality management, continuous improvement, which evolved for us into a Baldridge journey, that became just, I became very focused on that. I, I don't understand why you have to learn the same lesson over and over and over again and why you can't make an adjustment to that. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess I'd put that on my list as, I don't know if that's a habit or not, but, but maybe more of a passion. Mm. There's better ways to do, do it than we do it. Let's keep looking until we find the best way. And then, by the way, the world's changed, so there's even a better way than that. <laughs> it, 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 you never get to where you, you can stop, yeah. but you want, always want to keep getting there. And yeah. uh, so trying to think if there's any other, oh, I, I'm really big on the team thing. Uh-huh. So putting processes in place to support a team effort. Yeah. Whether that is in your, in the way you deal with benefits, 
we've got a profit sharing program here where, where everybody shares in profitability. Yeah. That was put in place about 40 years ago. Wow. And that's evolved over the years, but I think that you got to do it in a team effort. I, a high performing individual that doesn't care about a team is not going to be successful here. Mm. We just, it, it won't be a great place for somebody like that. Anybody that comes in here is going to have to be able to work in a team environment. We operate by consensus in, in a lot of ways. I want everybody on board with where we're going. So, so it's, a, it's a culture that we built over the years. I'd call it a family-like culture, if mm-hmm. you will. Yeah. We care about each other. And, and, and that's, I think, a luxury of a, of a small organization is you can have those personal relationships. And it's more challenging as you get bigger. And, and we're yeah. facing some of those challenges. But you got to enjoy where you work. Or as I tell people here, if you're, not, if you're waking up every day and, and you hate the thought of coming to work here, then go find another place to work because life is too short. And uh, I don't mislead myself by saying my people wake up every day and say, oh, boy, I get to go to work at Mesa. I don't think they do that every day. Mm-hmm. But if they don't do it at least some days, then go find some, something else that you do enjoy. And I, I think I digressed a little bit from your original question, which no. I already forgot what was. No, it's good. What um, sort of leads to sort of you care about each other your family. What about uh, personal passions outside of building a business? I'm a terrible golfer, <laughs> but, but I really enjoy playing. Yeah. So, and my wife and I are spending some time in Florida every year and yeah. uh, we enjoy going down there in the winter. I've got five grandkids, four children and five grandkids. And so spending some time with them. And, uh, and we're starting to do a little bit more travel than we've done in the past. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that over the upcoming years. Yeah. Always pretty adventurous and looking for, for new experiences. And, and uh, both my wife and I enjoy doing that. Very cool. My last question, is there anything I should have asked you, but I didn't? That'd be like sitting, being interrogated by a policeman and <laughs> not supposed to volunteer information. You know, but... Efficiency. Efficiency. <laughs> Tats, I, I, I can't think of anything. I, I like to talk about my, my company and, and the people that I've got working here, but I, I really don't know how educational or interesting it is to anybody else. So <laughs> thank you for letting me talk. Well, thank you for sharing. I mean, definitely. I mean, you've, you've done a lot of uh, great work in this area. You're from the people that I've talked to, uh, admired for, for the body of work that you've done. So, uh, and I'm, I'm absolutely positive that, uh, people listening will get a lot out of this. So I appreciate you coming on Terry. Absolutely. So I want to thank everyone for listening to specify And I also want to thank the listeners specifically that are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, please forward it along and send me a note or drop me a comment if you have any feedback or suggestions. Talk to you soon.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.